are in a prayer flow because last week we were in a week of prayer. Hallelujah. And I believe that was very fruitful and we will see the fruit of that in days to come. But the whole body of Christ is really in a prayer flow. Uh, you know, uh, Sister Billy Brim and, and, and the Copeland's course gave her the privilege of opening that up on her, their program back in the spring and then their own again this past week. And uh, God spoke to her in, I believe it was June 29th, 2008. Of course, we were coming up on a presidential election and they gather at Prayer Mountain in the Ozarks uh, every Sunday afternoon at three o'clock to pray. And they were going to pray that day for the nation. They were also going to pray for Israel and they were going to pray for their upcoming... Uh, the, for the upcoming elections, and, and uh, they have a prayer meeting in October of every year, the end of October. We went one time, and, uh, and, and of course, it always falls before an election on election year, and usually they spend a lot of time in that prayer meeting praying for the elections. So that afternoon, the Holy Spirit just came in on them in June, and he and they were praying for the elections, but the Lord just spoke real powerfully, just practically knock them off their feet powerfully and, and said, there's only one thing that will change America, and that's an awakening to God. There's only one thing that will help Israel and the nations, and that's awakening to God. And Billy said that the thoughts started come, God originated thoughts started coming to her mind that if the best man in all of America were elected to president, it wouldn't change anything. Because the only thing that's going to change America is to have an awakening. And so Billy has got on her horn, hallelujah, and alerted the nation to start praying for an awakening. And she's been, uh, re she's been talking about uh, the awakenings in the past, awakenings that America had, and pointing out that America was born in an awakening. And uh, that right before the Revolutionary War, in fact, just though right up until the time that Jonathan Edwards actually started an awakening. And Jonathan Edwards, the word awakening, he actually is given credit in the in uh, uh, answer, on Answers.com. He is given credit for the word, that for bringing that word to mean, of course, awakening always meant wake up in the morning, but to mean the awakening of the church or to mean revival. And so he's credited with giving that word that meaning. And uh, so Jonathan Edwards and then George uh, Whitfield, and George Whitfield died just days, I believe it was, wasn't it? Days before the Revolutionary War, before actually shots had already been fired, I think they said. And the British had already attacked in one place. And he died right before that. But America, so America was birthed in an awakening. And then right before the Civil War in 1757 through 17, no, 1857 through 1859, there was another great awakening that came to America. And so she's been showing us the history of awakening. And so, and talking about how the church was birthed, uh, the, the body, uh, the USA was, uh, <coughs> the USA was, uh, was birthed in an awakening and now we need another awakening uh, in America. I bet everybody in here could agree that a good awakening, a good revival from sea to signing sea would be a great benefit, wouldn't it? Hallelujah. Would We need it. We're desperate for it, actually. And uh, and the, so the body of Christ, the, those that are tuned in anyway, are praying throughout America for, and I believe people in other nations are praying for America to be awakened. Amen. And so, uh, <clears throat> praise God. Uh, <clears throat> And in, a, in praying for an awakening, uh, 
the reason we pray, because if God wants an awakening, we know you could say, well, why doesn't he just do it? But in praying for an awakening, prayer makes a way. Prayer makes a road on which the glory of God will travel. Our prayers open doors that God wants to walk through. And God needs us to open doors for him. You know, a king never opens doors for himself. No, a king will never open a door for himself. And, uh, but but uh, the, the servants always open the door for the king. And we are his sons, but we, we serve him as servants. And uh, so we open the doors for him to walk through. And uh, <clears throat> hallelujah. We're going to see a little video tonight. I was kind of back and forth, but I guess we'll just, I'm kind of like, okay, do I do the video? But we're going to watch a little video. And it was, it's actually from a different program I watch. And this week, Andrew Womack has David Barton on. How many of you have heard of Andrew Womack? Okay, several of you. How many of you have heard of David Barton? A few of you. Hallelujah. Well, David Barton is from Wall Builders, um, and he is—he uh, actually has a call on his life to to restore America, the, the the knowledge, especially to the body of Christ and to all Americans, of how Amer America was birthed as a Christian nation. We are taught in the public schools now, and we are taught that that's not really the case and that 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 you know we're taught things like separation of church and state and those kind of things and and uh so david barton he he goes throughout and he teaches this and very anointed to do it very knowledgeable so we're going to learn some things tonight and uh then, and we're going to talk about prayer a little bit tonight and uh so i'm, I'm just trying to, to debate this but about praying for america hallelujah but in first timothy chapter two if you'd turn there hallelujah <coughs> 1 Timothy chapter 2, it talks about, um, I exhort therefore that first of all, say first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. So we know that we're to pray for governments and that we're to pray for kings and, and presidents. That word kings there just means leaders of nations. And so that could be kings, that could be presidents, that could be prime ministers. And I believe in some nations they even call them other things. But so we could just say leaders of nations. But that we first of all, before we go and we pray for our needs to be met and we pray for the, the needs of our family. And you know, if we're not careful, if we don't make a determined effort to do this first, the needs of our lives will just suck the room dry, if you know what I mean. Because most of us just have a lot of things to pray about. Even if it's not our family, we just see a lot of needs and we're so aware. And a lot of times we just have the mentality that what can we do about America anyway? What can we do to help America? Who am I among such a big and actually who am I among such a big mess you know they talk to us on the news about the trillions of dollars of debt and we go and I want to talk to you about that a little bit tonight because I believe the Lord has given me insight into praying for nation for our nation uh, and so he says we're to do it first of all, and, and we're to use all kinds of prayer. We're, going to use, we're to use supplications, we're to use prayers, we're to use intercessions, and we're to use giving of thanks. And, and we're to do this, and it's in, to our advantage that we do it. Because he says that, it, that we do it in order that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life. And that is so important that we be able to, to lead a life that's quiet and peaceable, that we can go about our business, that we can, have a, uh, we can, we can earn a living, 
sing, we can go to church, we can, we can, we can raise our families the way God leads us to raise our families. And, uh, <clears throat> and so tonight we'll get a vision of how much God wants us to be involved in this. And then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about prayer just a minute. So let's roll that tape right now. And I think it's just about, you know, maybe less than 20 minutes. So hallelujah. Where we interviewed David Barton with Wall Builders Ministries. And I tell you, this is going to be a life-changing experience for you. I don't care if you're in the U.S. or in some other country. I believe that this is going to be powerful. Truth is power, and it's going to make a difference. So, David, let me welcome you and thank you hey, for thanks, coming Andrew. and being on Good our program. Good to be with program. you, bro. My pleasure. Well, I tell you, I'm excited, David. I, I believe that this it has the potential of really changing some people's lives. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I want to do, the very first thing, is that we've got more pe more viewers outside of the U.S. than we do in the mm -hmm. U.S. And so I'd like to just set this up about why is discussing the American heritage, the Constitution, and all of these kind of things important to people outside of our U.S. audience? There's really a couple of reasons. Uh, if you look at where America is today, it's just a matter of fact that we have 4% of the world's population. We have 6% of the world's land mass but we have 24% of the world's economy. We are by far the most prosperous nation in the world. Um, the poverty rate in the rest of the world is measured at $1 a day as poverty. In America, it's $22 a day wow. as our poverty rate. So we're quite different from other nations. Uh, back in 1831, a Frenchman said it's called American exceptionalism. America is an exceptional nation. It's not a reason to be proud. There is a reason for everything that happens. And if America has prospered, and we've also been blessed with a longevity, um, this year we will celebrate 233 years under the same piece of paper. And there's 192 nations at the United Nations this year, and we're the only nation out of the 192 that do not average a revolution every 20 to 30 years. We had one revolution 233 years ago. We haven't had another revolution since. We're the only nation in the world with that record. So when you look at that, you say, oh, those proud, cocky Americans. No, there are reasons. And this is where it's so important to go back and study the reasons. Uh, quite frankly, they're biblical reasons. The, the document that, and this is where it's so fun because God's no respecter of persons and he is no respecter of nations. I guarantee you any nation that takes the biblical principles that God sets forth for nations and applies those nations, if they apply them to their economy, if they apply them to their educational system, if they'll apply them to their culture, if they'll apply them to their government, their form of government, their type of if they'll do all the biblical things, God will prosper them and bless them just as He will anybody else. So America's not special, but it is that America has used some ideas that other nations have rejected. And as you take those ideas and go back, you find out they're biblical. This, is a, this book goes back to 1690. Uh, this book was written in England in 1690, and it's called The Two Treatises of Government by John Locke. And John Locke was a theologian. This book has been translated into virtually every language in the world. It just happens that America really latched on to this book. Uh, this book became the basis of our Declaration of Independence when we first were, were born. But this book gives over 1,500 Bible verses to show the proper operation of civil government. Now, was John Locke a minister? John Locke was, he was not a minister. He was trained for ministry and then went into law. So it, he became a theologian. He actually has a verse-by-verse uh, -verse commentary on the Bible that he did. So here's an attorney in civil arena 
uh, a judge and other things that has such a complete understanding of the Bible that he actually did a verse-by-verse commentary on the Bible. But because he did that, he also said, by the way, the Bible applies to this aspect of life and government and judiciary and executive powers. And, and this is one of the problems that the Christian world has gotten into in the last 50 years. It's across the world, we've been taught to compartmentalize our faith. You know, we've got yeah. God that goes over here and the Bible goes over here and here's where church is, but ooh, we don't get in that secular stuff like government and science and law and education and media and politics. The Bible doesn't make that compartmentalization. I mean, God is into everything. Uh, we're told in Psalms 24 that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, it's all His. And so when we used to believe that, we would say, well, what does the Bible say about government? And that's where John Locke says, well, here's 1,500 verses out of the Bible that talk mm-hmm. about government. And today we say, well, Christians shouldn't be involved in government. Well, God is. I mean, quite frankly, God's the one who ordains civil government. So that's why even looking at America and American history can actually be beneficial for other nations, not because America's worth anything, but because there are principles there that were used that if they're applied in other nations, God will bless any nation the same ways He's blessed America. And you know, I see America, I'm, I'm an American and I'm proud of it. But you know what? I, I'm proud of it because of the godly heritage. It's yeah. actually my pride rests in the Lord and in the fact that we had a godly foundation. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what we're talking about. For those that are watching this program all around the world, we aren't trying to promote America. No. What we're promoting is our godly heritage and the influence that the Lord and the Bible has had on our country. And, and that does make a significant difference. I mean, when, when we came out with our Declaration of Independence um, in 1776, we had used this book, had studied this book, and in that declaration it contains so much of the philosophy out of the Bible right in that. And it is, it is interesting that America at that time was a British colony. And uh, we're very blessed. We have about 100,000 documents from before 1812. So I have thousands of, of these early documents. And a, a document I really enjoy is a 1776 newspaper from London. And it was the first time that London had seen the Declaration of Independence. And from an American standpoint, you would think that, well, if anybody's going to understand our thinking, it's going to be our British cousins because, you know, we're, we're all British citizens at that point. And so we start off with the Declaration where we talk about that there is a Creator God and the Creator God has made all men to be equal. And right there, the British newspaper said, how ridiculous is that? We know that God didn't make men equal. You have different classes of men, different races of men, and races aren't equal and classes aren't equal. You have nobles, you have commoners, you have poor. God didn't make all men equal. And then we go on to say, and God is in debt. Not, not only did God make men equal, but He gave every one of them certain guaranteed inalienable rights. And the British newspaper said, now that is really stupid. We know that government is what gives rights to men, not God. That is the king who... And and so this philosophy that we had in the Declaration of Independence was so radical that even those closest to us scorned that philosophy. But when you go back, there, there are four basic principles that we said. We said, all right, there is a creator God. The Creator God created man, and He created all men equal. He gave His Son to die for each and every man. He didn't give it die just for some. And therefore, that's where we got early on in the civil rights movement, because we looked at what Paul said, that all, we're all of one blood. Uh, we looked in Revelation where the, at the last day gathered around His throne are all tribes, all nations, mm-hmm. all people, all language. We said, Christ died for all. We're all brothers. So we're made equal. And then with that, God gave us certain specific rights that don't come from government, they come from Him. 
And the per- here's where it really got radical. We said the purpose of government is to protect the rights that God gave you. Government doesn't exist for any other reason except to protect what God gave you. And then past that, you have the right of the consent of the governed. You, the people, get to choose what policies you want to live under if it's something God hasn't talked about. And that was our philosophy on which we built the nation. And that's why we have been a different nation. And that's why it works for any nation that tries it. So a lot of people talk about this as a democracy or a republic or whatever. And they talk about it in secular terms. But really, this is an expression uh, faith in God is yeah. what produced this form of government. It is it, The government isn't separated from Christianity at all. No, it is not separated from Christianity. It is certainly not separated from biblical precepts. Because as you go back into Genesis, and Genesis is called the seed plot of the Bible, there's not a doctrine in Christianity that does not have its roots in the book of Genesis. And as you get into Genesis, you find that in the first three chapters, um, God ordained uh, or ordain the family. He set up the family, established the family. By the time you get over to Genesis chapter 9, God has ordained civil government. That is His institution. And by the time you get over to about Genesis 30, 32, He's ordained what we would call the church, the vertical relationship. So three institutions He ordained. He ordained government before He ordained the church, but the family was the basis of all. And if you're going to find how the family should work or how government should work or how the church should work, Genesis has got the, the, the start of it all. And so he lays out the first civil laws in the book of Genesis, the way we conduct our relationship with each other. He expanded on that in the Pentateuch throughout uh, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He gives great expansion, but it all goes back to Genesis. And so when you look at America and, and Christianity, um, those two things have been intrinsic from the very, very beginning. As a matter of fact, it's really funny that preachers had more to do with America becoming the nation she was than any other group. Because at the time America was being founded over 400 years ago, the people who came here by and large were fleeing persecution in other parts of the world. And they brought, well, they actually brought specifically this Bible with them. This Bible's 419 years old. It's called a Geneva Bible. And this particular Bible had been printed in 1560 in Europe. And it became the Bible of everybody who was trying to get back to the Word of God. We'd gone through 1,200 years of the Dark Ages where the, the Bible wasn't to be read. It was in a language that people didn't understand. You certainly could not take one with you. This is the first Bible that was printed that you could actually carry with you as a citizen, as an individual. And this was going all over Europe, and people were saying, hey, that's not what we're doing. We need to do what this says. And so this became a challenge to a lot of traditions that were going on of both church and state. And people who didn't like their traditions being challenged persecuted people trying to do the right thing. So they come to America. Well, they had no more got off the ships in America. The, the first government document written here said, you know, we got kings in Europe, but we're told in Exodus 18.21 that we should be choosing and electing our own leaders. And based on that, we're going to do that. And the pastor of that group, John Robinson, he said, remember what God said about choosing your own leaders and remember to choose common men from out among you. Don't choose nobles and high nobility because Exodus 18.21 says, choose out from among you. So choose common people. That was a radical notion anywhere in Europe at that time. We had kings everywhere and now we're electing common people to be rulers and leaders. That's the basis of America and our form of government. But that came from pastors who were preaching the Word of God who said, look what God said about government. Uh, we, we had the same thing when we started saying, you know, we've got, we got judges, but we need to be careful about not letting those judges together because Isaiah 33:22 tells us to separate the three branches of government. 
Well, if you're in Europe, the king was over the courts and the king was over the parliament. There was no separation of the branches. We came to America and said, no, Isaiah 33, 22 says we need to separate the branches. And by the way, we need a way to counterbalance the branches. And that's where they use Jeremiah 17, 9 for separation of powers. I mean, all these things that we think are secular terms, you know, branches and separation, they all come out of the Bible. Wow. You know, there was uh, one of your series that I was watching, and you know, you've got, how many uh, DVD sets do you have out? Oh, gracious, Andrew. Uh, I've, I've seen it's 10 of them, and yeah. I think that that's a very small portion. It, it, it's a bunch. But anyway, and I forget where all this was, but you showed the number of quotations made mm -hmm. in the founding documents mm -hmm. to all of these different things. And by far, in a way, the Bible was cited yeah. more than any other source. And I think John Locke's uh, commentaries mm -hmm. on government and stuff and quotations from the Bible yeah. were in there. In the American founding, we cited, the, in the political building of America, we cited the Bible 12 times more often than we cited John Locke. And John Locke was our favorite. You know, we yeah. love this guy. But we cited the Bible 12 times more often. And if you'll go through the Constitution, it is so striking that when you look at, for example, what we call the Uniform uh, Immigration Clause of the Constitution, you can go back to Leviticus 19 and find that clause. Uh, you look in Article 2 of our Constitution, what we say is the requirements for a president. Those came right out of the book of Exodus. Uh, we have an, in, section, in Article 3 of the Constitution what we call a prohibition on bills of attainder. Man, that came right out of Ezekiel, just verse by verse out of Ezekiel. Nobody knows what an attainder is today, but it was a biblical term, and we forbid it in the Constitution. But every European country had attainder at that time. But we said not here because Ezekiel says now, you don't do that. what is attainder? Uh, attainder says that if you commit a crime, the, the, the king, the country, will punish your family forever. Your, your family will be paupers the rest of the time. They'll take all your land away. The Bible says, no, the soul that sins, it dies. You don't pass on the sin to the children of the father. The father of the children stops. So a bill of attainder says you cannot punish a family for what an individual did. And that was a radical notion. You know, I've notion. seen that in the Bible, but I have never translated it into government and thought that that's how government arrived at those conclusions. So when the United States uh, came and started implementing these things, that was exceptional. Oh, it was. World. It, it wasn't was, being done. It was way. not being done. They went against tradition of, of the world, and that's because literally the people who came to America, we have the early records of those people, pilgrims and others, they would spend from two to six hours a day in the Bible, and they didn't do it like a devotional reading book. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, what is now called the free enterprise system, or what is sometimes called ethical capitalism, it came right out of First Timothy 5.8. It came right of Second mm -hmm. Thessalonians 3.10. That was not being done in the world at the time. It had been done previously in biblical times. The world had gotten away from it. And they looked at that and they said, now, wait a minute. And, and by the way, uh, America originally started with a socialistic form of government. Yeah, we did I'm, that in both colonies. Yeah. And, and, and they said, wait a minute, the Bible says... It didn't work. It did not, not only does it not work, the Bible says it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Now... If I pose that thought to most Christians today and say, show me in the Bible where the socialism is wrong, they go, the Bible doesn't talk about stuff like that. Yeah, it does. And that, the cool part is those who came to America would spend hours a day in the Bible. And from that, they developed so many things that were unique to America at the time. But again, it's not limited to America. Any nation that will take those Bible verses and use it, and we've got a lot of emerging nations right now. I mean, while we're taping this, there are 19 nations that are engaged either in civil war or revolution. 
So that gives 19 nations a chance to have a fresh start. And if they, if they want to, they go right back to Locke's treatises on government, right back to the biblical basis, say, hey, we're going to do it the biblical way from the start, and they'll be enduring nations. You know, they may be in a revolution now, but they'll be stable in 20 years from now. Well, you know, I've heard you make these statements on your DVDs about these things and about how they came straight out of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I've, I, I mean, I study the Word all of the time, and I have groped to think of what scripture it is that you're referring to. Yeah. But now that you mentioned 1 Timothy chapter 5, of course, that's where it talks about taking care of the widows and providing yeah. for your own and stuff. But I've never applied that in yeah, a sense Yeah, it, it was really good because, uh, and if you, if you think about the pilgrims, they came together, they came to America as a congregation. They were a congregation from, from Europe that came here, and they loved one another and looked out for one another and cared for one another, and that's the way it should be. I mean, we're told in Galatians, you, you look out for all men, but especially those of the household of faith. And so they were doing the right thing, and they had common insurance. They said, we'll help each other. If something happens to you, we'll take it, which is the right thing to do. But then what they did was, because they were in a very rugged wilderness and having a really tough time living in this, this wild country of America, they said, what we'll do is we'll put all, all the things that we make and produce, we'll put together in common, we'll all share it equally. You know, fair thing to do. They well, nearly starved. That's right. They nearly <laughs> starved because some of the able-bodied guys said, oh, I don't have to work that's as right. hard, and I'm going to get my share out of this whether I do anything or not. And that's when they found that verse that says, whoever does not provide for his own family is mm -hmm. worse than an infidel. And they said, we're providing for everybody else's families. What we're taking is being given and shared with everybody, not for our own family. So they had a town meeting, got together, they read out of Psalms, and Psalms talked about he divided the land. And so they said, all right, here's the property you can have. And it said that he set the solitary in the family. So they took the widows and the orphans and said, all right, we're attaching you to this family, and they'll provide for you, and you have to provide for yourself. And suddenly their productivity went through the yeah. roof. The, now, I've been to the Plymouth Colony, yeah. and I've studied some of that, and I've seen that, that they tried the first winter. They tried socialism. And they just barely made it. And when they went into giving incentives for people working on their own, their productivity increased, and that's when they finally got their foothold. You know, we, we have here in America what we call the capital gains tax. And it's a tax where that the more profit you make, the more we tax mm -hmm. you. Well, the problem is, if you go back to Luke 19 and Matthew 25, on the parable of the talents, the one that made that's the right. most, he took away from the non-productive, gave it to the one that made the most. Oh, that's tremendous. And they said, wait a minute, that's not fair. He's already got 10. And they said, no, no, to him who has will be given. To, whom, to him who has not will be taken away even that which he has. And the biblical thing is God rewards productivity. The, the one that didn't even invest that talent to make interest on it, he got really ticked at him. But the one who made 10 is the one who got rewarded. So we had set it up where that if you work hard, if you're productive, we're not going to punish you for making profit and making money. We'll punish the non-productive people. And now we reversed it and says, well, if you're not productive, we'll take care of you. And if you're too productive, we'll, we'll punish you. You know, this, this is encouraging to me because, again, I study the Word all of the time. But, David, I hadn't made some of these connections. I've never taken that parable. I've always applied it to me and my personal yeah. relationship with God. And well, see, that, that's a great reason to say the capital gains tax is a violation of biblical precepts because it punishes you for making profit and it rewards those who don't make And profit. therefore, people who believe in God and believe in the Word ought to take a stand uh, they ought on to take a stand. 
secular, what we call secular things because right. it's a violation of the principles of God. Anything the Bible talks about should not be considered secular by us. You know, I do not think that most Christians would look at taking a stand against capital gains tax as being a, a godly stance. That's a political area, and that's an area that Christians really shouldn't venture into is kind of the way that people look. And yet the Bible has two complete parables on the capital gains tax. So why are we silent on something well, the Bible talks about? I'm guilty. <laughs> we all are. You know, and one of the things, we have our uh, English director and Bible college director and other people come over, and people from Canada came mm -hmm. down to our conference last July the 4th, and we always sing patriotic songs. Mm -hmm. I'm proud to be an American. We sing about God bless yeah. America uh, and all of these things. And, and the people from other countries are amazed at our patriotism, mm -hmm. and they say that we don't have this in our country. Yeah. And, you know, just in talking to you briefly, I can see that it's because our country is really rooted in God and in our faith in we God. We may not know that today, but that's the truth about why we are who we are. Well, that's the reason we're doing these programs. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, we're going to continue to do this, and uh, we're going to share some truths that I believe are not only going to help the people that are watching here in the U.S., but this is going to help all of you around the world because, again, this isn't an American doctrine. It's not all about our country. It's yeah. about the Bible. It's about faith in There we went. Okay. Well, we need to know these things because the Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. And so we learned some stuff tonight. Plus, we need to know, uh, we, need to, we need to be prayers for our nation. And so I want to talk about that for just a few minutes. As, and, uh, but I think that that was good to show that. Um, God wants us to be involved. And he does want us to go back to the Bible. And even in our praying, we need to go back to the Bible. And one of the things the Lord showed me is that we need to quit looking at the problems in America and start looking at the answers. And, uh, you know, and so when, when you watch the news, even if you watch Fox News, which they say they call themselves the fair and balanced, and that they're kind of their motto, and I'm sure they are, but still they're focused on the problem. Even if they're fair and balanced about the problem, they're still focused on the problem. And God said, God never has us focus on the problem in our life, does he? he did, when, when our children are messed up, does he say, now you really focus on how bad your children are acting? No, he says, go to the word and get the answer and start speaking the word. And so where our nation is concerned, the Lord just brought to my attention that we just go to the word and we start, we start, we start, uh, putting a demand on the word where our nation is concerned. In, uh, <clears throat> in Philippians 1.19, it says, let's do this quickly so y'all be really on the alert and catch this and I won't have to belabor it. It says, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So if we want America to be saved, and then we have, it's going to be through our prayer and the supply of the Spirit through Jesus Christ. And through our prayers, we bring a supply. So we're supposed to bring a supply for our nation and for these leaders up here. In 2 Corinthians 1.11, and we won't turn there, but it's one of my favorite scriptures, it says, helping together by prayer. It talks about we are helping by prayer. And sometimes we go, I don't know what I could do to help America well, or, or the church or any other bad situation or problem situation. Well, we help by prayer. Uh, that's what we're told to do. In Proverbs 18, verse 15, and we'll turn there. 
because we're talking about bringing a supply. So if we're supposed to bring a supply by our prayers, what is it we need to supply these kings, these presidents, and those that are in authority? Well, we can find it in the Bible. What we need to supply, according to Proverbs 18 and verse 15, it says, The heart of the prudent getteth... No, that's wrong. That's the wrong verse. Okay, I wrote down the wrong scripture, but I'll just have to tell you what it says. It, it, the, the scripture I'm looking for says that a king rules by wisdom. That kings rule by wisdom. So the supply we have to bring and what the kings need, what the president... Don't get sidetracked because I couldn't find the scripture. Quit looking for it. Hallelujah. I praise God. Just get the gist of it. Uh, okay. What we have to supply by the Spirit is we have to supply these kings, these presidents. We have to supply them with wisdom by our prayers. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do it the very same way we supply wisdom for the church. We go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Hallelujah. We go over to Ephesians chapter 1. This is how we supply wisdom to the church or to your husband or to anybody. We were taught this. We were taught to supply wisdom this way. In Ephesians 1, 16, it says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. So we can literally take our president or any other leader of of nations, and we can say, Father, we pray that you will give unto President Barack Obama a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. You will give him spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of his understanding will be enlightened, and that he will know what is the hope of his calling. And that just really means that President Barack Obama will know what he's called to do, what he's to use that office for that he stands in, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And you didn't, hey, you got to get your emotions of whether you like him or not, you got to get them uninvolved. Hallelujah. You just got to, you got to go and say, it don't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter anything. None of that matters. The, the word of God, I speak the word. I supply wisdom to him today. And we can do that for his cabinet. In fact, we need to do it for who is his chief of staff? Rahm Emanuel, is that right? For his, uh, his chief of staff. We do it for Secretary of State Clinton. We do it for all of his cabinet. I don't know any of the other cabinet. Hallelujah. But, um, we do it for our judges on the Supreme Court. Lord, we, we give them a supply of wisdom today. And we can then, after we pray that, we can pray in the Spirit for a few minutes and we can elaborate on it in any such way that the Holy Spirit shows us and gives us utterance. So uh, we are to ask God for wisdom on their behalf. And you know, it doesn't, we don't, this is, we don't need to make this complicated. What God told us to do in 1 Timothy chapter 2, to pray for all the men and kings that are in authority, don't make it complicated. Just get in there and pray, pray these simple prayers for them. And you know, the Bible says that, uh, 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 that, that uh, in, what is it, Psalm 133, where it says the anointing flows down from the head. And so anything we pray for President Barack Obama, the anointing of our prayers flows down to those that are below him. Literally, when we pray for him, we're praying for every man in America. Every 
the, all men, for all men. So whatever we pray for him, we're praying for all men or all men and women, you could say, for all the American citizens. We're praying for them. Hallelujah. And that's how you pray for all men, is there's no other way to pray for all men. I mean, I can pray for Joe, John Jones over here, but I've just prayed for John Jones. Now, the anointing may trickle down into his family, but when I pray for the head of a nation or the pastor of a church, when I pray for the pastor of the church, I've prayed for the whole church. Hallelujah. Okay, so y'all caught that. Okay, so we are to ask God on, his, on their behalf. And it is to our benefit in order that we could lead a quiet and peaceful life. And the church is to uphold the government. Now, this is found in Scripture. Um, Christians, uh, a lot of times, are looking to the government to take care of them. You know anybody's looking to the government to take care of them? And sometimes, that's not just people on welfare. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, well, you know, my Social Security and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm not against Social Security. I know you paid it in. You deserved it. I hadn't paid any in much. I don't deserve it. Hallelujah. I'm on the grace plan. Hallelujah. Because pastors can get exempt from Social Security. I don't know if you knew that. So we opted out many years ago of Social Security. Hallelujah. Whether it was wise or not needs is, remains to be seen. Hallelujah. All right, now they sent me my statement last week, and based on my quarters that I paid when I worked at other places before we opted out, I'm going to get to draw 200 and something dollars a month. Hallelujah. So I'm going to be on the faith system, I can tell you, walking by faith. Hallelujah. I just can't retire, can I? Glory to God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> so, um, so, but Christians don't look to the government to take care of them. The government's on our shoulders because it says in Isaiah 9 6, the government, y'all want to look there? Isaiah 9 6, it says, uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let me ask you, if we're the body of Christ, is the shoulder us? Hallelujah. So we're not to be looking to the government to take care of us. We're supposed to be taking care of the government. And the way we do that is through our prayers. That's the only way we can take care of the government. And, of course, using our influence. And, of course, voting. And, of course, uh, 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 running for office if God so leads us. And we certainly want uh, godly men and women running for office, don't we? Hallelujah. We want people in the church to be doing that. We don't want the... Uh, <coughs> Secular humanists and people like that in uh, in our government positions. We are the body. Now, one of what the Lord showed me also about praying for uh, the nation, the nation as a whole, not just the president, but the nation. How do we pray for America? Because we want this awakening, and we want and and the, America needs to be awakened in a revival. But we need to we need awakening in the government. We need awakening at the White House. We need awakening at the Capitol. We need our governors of our states awakening. We need to have a we need to start the you if you look online. You can find this out, but a bunch, a bunch of governors, their term limits are up this, and they're, we're, we're going to get a whole bunch of new governors in 2010 because they, they can't run again. They've, they've exhausted their term limits, and we know that's true in Alabama, that Governor Riley cannot run again. And so there's going to be a whole bunch of governors elected, and that's 2010, but now's the time to pray. These things are being decided now, really, uh, because who's going to run and those kind of things. And we need to pray. One of the things we need to pray, and I know, don't get weird on me about this, don't get flaky, and, and get and get, but we need to pray that these states go to the right. 
We want them to go to the right because on the right is godly principles. Now you may not, you know, I know in the South, a lot of times, um, and I know my family was that way. It's like we've been Democrats for 500 years, all of our family. Well, it hit me that long because it hadn't been that. But anyway, uh, but what, what we want to vote for, it's not a matter of Democrat and Republican. We don't really care about that. But we want godly values. And usually that's on the right. Not always, but usually you have to go to the right side to find uh, uh, pro-life, to find same uh, uh, ones... Uh, Men and women marriages, however you say that, <laughs> hallelujah. We don't want same-sex marriages. We want godly values brought into those places. We want to elect governors who are against gambling. We want to elect governors that uh, will keep out uh, the lottery, casinos, uh, sin. Basically just sin, folks. That's what we want to do. We want to go in that direction. And we need to, uh, so we need to pray that those states, that, that, that they go that way. Because if the states, now see, um, because God instituted offices, and he says that in Romans chapter 13, that the powers that be, he's the one that, he didn't always, every man that's in office, God didn't call that man to be in office. Sometimes the elect made a mistake and they elected the wrong person but the office is set up by God and so the office is ordained the office has an anointing to it the office is uh, uh, it's precious it's holy and and the one of the things we learned really early in the ministry that when you can't honor the man honor the office so if you, even if you, if that man is is committing adultery or having like Monica Lewinsky problems or something, and we can't really honor him because of that, but we can always honor his office that he stands in, and and that's in a church too. If you get in a church where the pastor does something, you will honor the office. Don't ever quit honoring the office, and God will bless you, and He will take care of you, and He will honor you because you do the right thing. And so that's what we have to do with our president i've seen some websites that said really bad things about our president that was christian websites and i'm not against that we expose things that that might be wrong in government any level of government but i am against it when we start using slander and and saying uh just not being honoring for that office for the office of president he is the he's the commander-in-chief he is the commander-in-chief. And that office, is, that office is right. And so whether he is or not, and if we do right, God will take care of us. No matter what, he'll take care of us. So when, how do we pray for our nation? Well, what the Lord said to me, he spoke to me this. He, it was so amazing. I didn't know this. And he, he spoke to me, Psalm 91. And he showed me in Psalm 91, I've never heard anybody say this, but it just as I was, you know, been meditating these things and thinking about it, he showed me that Psalm 91, and he specifically spoke to me the last part, in verse, beginning in verse 14. And, and, you know, the thing with David Barton kind of stirred this up in me about how our nation set, its, set our, as a nation back in those 1600s when the nation was starting to form, 16 and, uh, late 1600s, early 1700s, when our nation was beginning to form, that, that this nation, by, by being founded on godly principles, that the nation had set its love upon him. And he said, because as a nation... 
because the nation has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver the nation. And if you look back, uh, America's been amazingly delivered. And then it says, I will set this nation on high because it has known my name. This is what the Lord said to me. And I said, oh yeah, in God we trust. There's a reason we God, in God we trust. Because the nation knew his name. And, 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 you know, if you go to Washington, I've never been, but they say that God is all over the, the Capitol and the monuments and, the, uh, the, and scriptures are all over it. And he said, because this nation has known my name, I set this nation on high. This, if, the, if this nation calls upon me, I will answer him. And I will be with this nation in trouble and I will deliver this nation and I will honor this nation. And with long life, I will satisfy this nation. That's what the Lord showed me. And I remembered what he said, that he said that, he said, uh, that we were 233 years old and that we were the on, about the only nation that, had not, that doesn't have a revolution and a change. In other words, we're kind of getting to be a, we're an old nation to stay under one, a one form of government and one type of leadership. And so I just realized that, we, that anything we pray for a man, we could pray for our nation. Because sometimes we don't know how to pray for our nation. So we could say, we could say, Father, I pray that the United States of America will abide under the shadow of Almighty God. I pray that all the citizens of the USA will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. And Lord, we say it. We say it for them. You are a refuge, our fortress, and we do say, in God we trust. It's right here, in God we trust. And surely, Lord, you deliver this nation from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. God, cover this nation with your feathers, and under your wings we will trust in this nation. Your truth, your word, will be the shield and buckler of this nation. This nation will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for arrows that fly by day, nor for pestilence like swine flu that walketh in darkness, for, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday like nuclear power. A thousand might fall at our side and ten thousand our right hand, but it shall not come near the United States of America. Only with our eyes shall we behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because the United States of America makes you our refuge, even our habitation, no evil shall befall our nation, neither shall any plague come near our dwelling. And Lord, give your angels charge over America to keep America in all its ways. Bear America up in your hands, lest we would dash our foot against a stone. In America, we will, as, uh, we will tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, we will trample underfoot. Now you say, wow, now I don't know if we qualify for all that. But you've got to remember, we are Christians. We are men and women of faith. And what do faith people do? Help me. We believe and speak. And what? We call those things that be not as though they were. And, and what, we've got to quit calling things that be in this nation. It's so bad. And I'm guilty too. Oh, it's horrible. Oh, it's just bad. They've got the whole thing messed up. It's really bad. We're, I don't know how many trillion dollars in debt. And we've got to quit talking about that. And we've got to start saying what the Word says. And we've got to start focusing on the... Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we can pray these things for our nation. I, I'm telling you, this is the, one of the biggest revelations I ever got on how to pray. Psalm 112. 
We, th- he, he, that's what the Holy Ghost said to me. Anything you could pray for a man, you could pray for this nation. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the nation that feareth the Lord. Hallelujah. We fear God in America. And any nation that delights greatly in His commandments, blessed is that nation. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, and the generations of that nation shall be, or will be upright and will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in that nation. We say it, Lord. We say wealth and riches are in America, and, his, and my, America's righteousness will endure forever. Oh, we don't say America's no longer a godly nation. We need to quit saying that. There's Christians on TV saying that. Now, we used to be a godly nation, and we're not anymore. We need to say we are. We need to call things that be not. And besides all that, you say, well, does America have any right? You know, we're a trillion dollars in debt. We're not. Or how many trillion? Several trillion. Hallelujah. I, don't even, I can't even think that big. Hallelujah. Nobody can. And so... Uh, uh, even the government doesn't know how doesn't even know how much money that is. But we need to quit focusing on that because we have a right for wealth and riches to be in America because we've been the most. Well, let's read on down. Let's go on down. Hallelujah. <laughs> unto the upright, unto this nation, there arises a light in the darkness. Hallelujah for for what is what are we calling for? Oh, an awakening. There arises light in the darkness. God is gracious. This nation no, no, this nation is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. This nation is a good nation. This nation shows favor and lends and guides its affairs with discretion. Now, we have a right to ask for wealth in America because we've been the most lending and giving nation that ever was. Man, I tell you, we rebuilt Germany. Germany would still be in ruins if we didn't rebuild them after World War II. We rebuilt Japan after World War II. And every nation that's hungry or has a problem, we send soldiers, we send... We send um, and this costs the, the nation millions and millions of dollars, billions of dollars to go and fight for uh, uh, Korea. And I don't know how to say it, but whatever that nation is, Korea. Anyway, we went over there and fought a war for them, folks. So people can be free. And, and we, so don't get so down on America. We feed the hungry. And we, not only our own hungry, but we go to nations that are hungry. And, we, and if, boy, if they have a tsunami or whatever, we, we go. We go. We go. And so we got to start focusing on the things that are good in America. And yeah, there's some bad things, but we don't, we're not even going to focus on that. Hallelujah. We need to start treating America like we do our family. When your kid has a problem, you don't focus on the bad. When a church has a problem, we just keep focusing on Jesus and just keep focusing on the good. Hallelujah. And the problems solve themselves and work out. And a right, well, if we'll start doing this, if Americans will start doing this, Christian Americans, the, uh, then the arise, light will, and I'm not talking about turning a deaf ear, and I'm not even talking about being asleep at the wheel. And a lot of Christians, a lot of Americans and Christians aren't even, they're not, they, they are like in a, got their head in the sand. I'm not talking about put your head in the sand and pretend it's not bad out there. You know, I'm talking about, Getting actively, aggressively, using our faith. If we're going to pray for America, we ought to do it in faith. And we ought to be speaking the right thing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we're going to pray for America in this way from now on. And uh, just pray in this scripture, he shall, America shall not be moved forever. 
America will not be afraid of evil tidings. America will have their heart have their hearts fixed in trusting in the Lord. And our hearts will be established. We'll not be afraid. And we will see our desire upon our enemies. We have, we have dispersed abroad. We have given to the poor. And our righteousness endures forever. And our horn, our authority, horn is this four things. Authority, anointing, strength, and dignity will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. They will gnash their teeth and melt away. And the desire of the wicked are perished. They already gnashed their teeth in America because we that cause of that wealth, that 24% of the world's wealth. That's the only reason they're gnashing their teeth at us. Hallelujah. And then also Psalm uh, 89. Hallelujah. Now this is the three that, 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 that the Lord reminded me that, that we pray for men and we can pray for America. Lord, we pray in verse 19 that you will lay help upon America. And you know, it says, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. Well, America's mighty. Lay help upon America, Lord. You've exalted America and chosen it out. And with your holy oil, anoint America. With your hand, with, with, with America, your hand will be established. Your arm will strengthen America. And the enemy shall not exact upon him, the devil or any other enemy, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. Lord, beat down America's foes before its face and plague them that hate him. Now that's even foes that are within. That's not just foes that are without. That's not just Iranians and... And, uh, and, of course, not every Iranian is a foe either. But uh, there's a great underground church in Iran. You know? So it's not just Iranians or Iraqis or people like that. It's, it's, uh, Muslim. it's not Muslims and Islam necessarily. Sometimes some of the foes of America are right in America, and some of them are in office. Hallelujah. And God wants to uproot them and pluck them out. Hallelujah. He wants to take them out of office if they're ungodly and they're bent on destroying America, whether it's from ignorance or whether it's intentionally. Some people are bent on destroying America and they're just deceived. They're just messed up in their minds. But some people, you know, have an agenda. We don't know who, but we just trust Him. And this is how we pray. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 10 and we'll close. Praying for America. We're called to pray for our nation. And if we don't pray, we don't have a right to say anything, really. 1 Corinthians 10, 9. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted. This is talking about those in the wilderness, those people, those, those, is, those Jews and our children of Israel that came through the wilderness. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. So we need to quit murmuring about America, and for that matter, anything else. Hallelujah. You know, the cares that we have, if we have a really a care, something that's really bothering us about America, we need to cast that care over on the Lord. We got to get in faith about this situation, folks. Just bottom line, we got to get in faith about America. And if we don't have any hope for America, and no, it's bad, and it's going to, well, why don't you just move to Argentina then? <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, I mean, isn't that right? Praise God. Let's stand up together. We're going to do something. Hallelujah. Now, we, I, I, I hope you, we, were y'all agreeing with me when I was praying those scriptures? So technically, we've, agree, we've prayed for America tonight, hadn't we, by praying those scriptures. Now we're going to pray another way, okay? Hallelujah.
And we and if you don't, we don't care how this sounds because we're not we're not trying out for American Idol tonight. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. So we're going to sing a prayer. Hallelujah. We're going to sing it, and I want you to sing this from your heart. I don't want you to. I don't. I don't even want you to sing this like, oh, I'm patriotic. Although we are, I want you to sing this. I want you to make the.